Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. Ralph, I'm excited because I'm on a road trip right now. I've been locked in. I know we've all been like on, on lockdown and very careful over these last six months, but I'm out and about and seeing the world. It's nice to be in nature. I know you're in nature there in Virginia. That's, it's got to feel nice to just be on the farm and that fresh air. That's something that I missed living in Los Angeles. Well, we're so glad you got out and about a little bit, being, you know, in quarantine and, you know, have the little one and the wife, you know, everybody needs to get out, especially being in the compound of the, the bubble in L.A., right? It's kind of like you can get out and about, but it's not like where you are right now where I am. You can smell fresh air, hang out with the little one, take a hike and just refresh your mind. So we're glad you got out and hopefully you can get some R&R as well. Absolutely. And I'm still watching a lot of basketball. The playoffs have been great. And Ralph, I just want to get right into it. What's new? What's good? Because Anthony Davis and the Lakers, they have stepped their game up. He hit a buzzer beater the other night for the Lakers to win and go up 2-0 over Denver. It kind of reminded me of another big man hitting a buzzer beater. Oh, that one was against the Lakers. That was yours. That was against the Lakers. Yeah, mine was against the Lakers. So, you know, he, he, he got that. But, you know, when you make, when you, when you, have a shot like that. I mean, his was a three-pointer, right? I mean, you got a six foot eleven mm-hmm. guy shooting a freaking three-pointer, but he knocked it down. But when you make a buzzer beater shot to win the game, ours was to win the game and go to the championship. His was yeah. a two-o lead for the next series because, you know, let's just be candid. Anthony is the elite athlete, but he, sometimes he doesn't play elite. Now he ended up with thirty-one points, you know, in the game, which was great. The game before he had thirty-seven. But night in and night out, the, 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 this Anthony Davis doesn't play as hard as he could play. Or I think we as fans or people that know basketball want him to play. So it was in the interview with LeBron. LeBron says, you know, you got to step up and play. You got to take the lead, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, in that game, LeBron had 20 points in, by halftime, you know. And yeah. so, I mean, I mean, nobody stepped up. So LeBron kicked it in and said, come on, you got to help me out a little bit here. You know, somebody got to do something as well. But. I think he realizes that now, being with that team and how LeBron works. And we'll see what happens in the series because they're very lucky to win that game. Very, very lucky to win that game. And it's such a, a big game. Going up 2-0 is so much different than being tied 1-1. Big time. So much different. That is a pivotal shot. And really, I, is there any chance a team other than the Lakers wins the championship at this point? It, it To me, it just seems like – the writing is on the wall. It's inevitable. They're going to do it. Wearing the Kobe jerseys, do it in honor of Kobe. LeBron, no one can stop him this time of year, or I should say this 
phase of the playoffs because we haven't really been playing this time of year in the past. And Anthony Davis, he he has been stepping it up. And if he shows up and, and LeBron shows up, who can beat him, Ralph? Well, I mean, you know, if Anthony plays, I mean, he he, he scored all his points in the second in the second half. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, 31, but come to play in the playoffs from the from the jump ball. Out of the locker room, you should be ready to play. Just don't be Mr. Cool, put your headset on, go play music and think it's gonna come to you because Jokic and, and and that crew on the other side come. They will continue to come at you. They hungry. Uh, they don't. You know they don't have as many players that are superstars like the Lakers have. So it's just hard for I think his mindset to be able to do that. But it's going to be interesting to see because, like you said, going up 2-0 to 2-1 or 1-1 is very difficult than you know being where they are. But I mean, come on, Denver's been down 3-1. Yeah, you know, and a couple of times, so they know how it is to be down a couple of games. So it ain't over until it's over. So you gotta, you get somebody down. They are up by twenty points. You get somebody down. You gotta put your foot on their neck. You know, you you gotta kill them. You got you gotta you gotta you know keep. I mean, we used to. I used to look at my guards and Akeem and Ryan Cray, and we got somebody up fifteen points. We said, okay, we gonna run them out of that door over there. Let's just let's keep going, and we run them out by 25, 30 points, and then we sit on the bench, and hang out, and have fun while ourselves you know play a little bit more so we'll see what happens with the lakers they have a great chance to win the title but i still think if you know if miami can get there uh you know i do like bam and uh, i had going dragas as uh, when i coached in phoenix i, I love those players and they don't, they don't have a superstar i mean you know they just they just play together very well so that'll be an interesting uh series i do believe it would be. Miami is playing great basketball. Jimmy Butler has been maybe the most cutch player in the bubble. But are they even going to have enough to get past the Boston Celtics? They're in a battle right now. So it's going to be fun to watch and see how that develops. I think it's going to be Lakers versus Celtics. That's my prediction. And the Lakers I, I, I can, are- I can a Cleveland fan like the Boston Celtics and think they're going to win anything. Hey, I didn't say I like them. I didn't say <laughs> I like them. That's very rare. I just think the three-headed monster of Tatum Brown Kemba, it's too much. I think it's going to be too okay. much right. for this whole series, even against Miami. We'll see. We'll see. We can do a little we'll side see. wager, Ralph, you know? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, we've got an amazing guest on the show today. I'm so excited. I mean, I grew up watching this guy play. I had his basketball cards. Eric Sleepy Floyd. He played 13 years in the NBA with the Nets, the Warriors, the Rockets, and the Spurs. We'll touch on all of that, even on how he made it from the Warriors to the Rockets because he traded places with you, the one and only Ralph Sampson. Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, I, I probably didn't, shouldn't have interviewed him. I should just hate him, but he didn't make a trade. So it was <laughs> right. okay. We became good friends after the fact. But uh, I wish he would have played with us while I was there. We would have probably won, you know, a, a lot more games. So anyway, but Sleepy Floyd, I mean, is a one-of-a-kind guy. Coach John Thompson, mm-hmm. one of his first really, really true players that played in the NBA. And this interview is going to be very, very good. It is. He's the most prolific scorer in the history of Georgetown basketball, as you said. Really the first star that John Thompson had to go on to have NBA success at Georgetown. So we'll, of course, get into all of that and uh, have him share some of his amazing memories and stories with the late, great John Thompson. Uh, Sleepy Floyd, maybe, you know, do you know how he got the nickname Sleepy, Ralph? 
I don't. Uh, I mean, I joked him one time when he when I, when I met him. How you get that name? Whatever. And the thing is, because of his eyes, he looks kind of sleepy all the time. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, it's good to, good question to find out. You know? Well, actually, I did find out. In fourth grade, he was playing baseball, and a spectator in the crowd just yelled, "Get that kid out of the game! He's sleeping!" Because the ball kept going past him. It, and that stuck. It's crazy because still well, today, a good it, 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 it lasted there for a while. Wow, you never know. The heckler in a fourth grade baseball game. It's just, it's stuck. Uh, and uh, he's known as Sleepy Floyd. Eric Sleepy Floyd. Uh, we're going to get into all of it with him. Let's bring him on right now, center court. We are joined today by a 13-year NBA veteran, a former NBA All-Star, the one and only Eric Sleepy Floyd. Eric, thank you for joining us here on Center Court. We really appreciate it. And uh, first and foremost, this has been a a tough year for all of us in 2020, dealing with so many things. But um, how are you doing, first and foremost? I know we we just lost a great man and a a mentor to you, uh, Coach John Thompson from Georgetown. So we just wanted to begin there and and check in on you and, and see how you're doing. Doing good, you know, obviously losing someone as um, dynamic and influential as Coach Thompson has been to so many people, including myself, to so many organizations out there that's fighting for justice and all the things that that are at the forefront right now. Um, It's been tough on the Georgetown family, the Georgetown community. And just reflecting back on, you know, a lot of the individual conversations, all the collective conversations as a group, you know, Ralph, you knew him a little bit, a lot. And, you know, he was never short on words and perspective and viewpoints and, and just reflecting on all those different things and sharing stories and, and, uh, uh, you know, kind of celebrating his life and what he stood for and 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 actually been mentored by him for all these years. You know, when you leave, graduate Georgetown, it doesn't stop there. It continues on. Yeah, Big John, for sure. Uh, so it's been a long life lessons, uh, positive from him. And, and he's ch- he was challenging too. He, he challenged you on and off the court and, and you know, Looking back on it, you know, at the time you didn't really understand, you know, the formula that he was using sometimes, and he wasn't about to explain it to you, so you. Could <laughs> go off. Um, but looking back on all of that and how he affected so many, and, and, and so many of us have become successful, you know, after Georgetown, and just dealing with day to day life. So, thanks for for uh, mentioning that, and, and um, you know, he'll never be forgotten. No, definitely. I mean, I got great memories of him coming to my home and, you know, Big John sitting in your living room trying to recruit you. Right. Saying you should come to Georgetown. But, you know, I'm interested in the Gastonia, North Carolina track to Georgetown because you and Worthy and a couple other, you know, right. fail and all those guys from North Carolina. Great, great pedigree players in North Carolina, as we know. But what what attract you to Coach Thompson at Georgetown? Because that's a, a little bit out of the North Carolina model, right? You right, yeah. You know. And you got to take in mind, you know, I grew up in Gaston, North Carolina. We grew up ACC fans. ACC, yes. You know, as, as a young player, your dreams were 
to make it to that level, to be actually playing, whether it was Virginia or Carolina or Duke, Clemson, as long as you could make it to the ACC, you feel at that time that was a, a barometer that was out there for you as a young player. And actually, I had verbally committed to uh, a, a yep. school. And um, at that time, we had six visits. Right, right. I had taken five, Ralph. And um, my sister at the time was going to school at Howard. Okay. So I really didn't have an interest. You know, I had seen Georgetown on TV a little bit. You know, if you could get your antenna just right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm like, man, I'll take this free trip up to D.C. I get an opportunity to, to, to see my sister. We're very close and, and really didn't know what to expect. You know, um, Coach Thompson really didn't recruit me out of high school. I played in the North Carolina East-West All-Star game up in Greensboro end up getting MVP and Big House Gaines yeah, well. reached out to him and said, hey, this kid hadn't signed yet. You need to come down and see him. And uh, so actually he came down to Irwin Center where James and I grew up playing and watched me play a pickup game and walked out in three minutes. I'm thinking, man, I really screwed this up. <laughs> but he had seen enough in three minutes as he told me. And, and uh, so anyway, I had a one more visit to take. I took it up to Georgetown and Ralph, he was, he was so honest and direct and, yep. you know, and I ended up signing while I was up there. Oh, wow. So he was honest and direct back then. I mean, yes. you know, he, yeah. he, he, he never changed then over the years because he's always no, honest, more direct now than it was. He's like, then. what you going to do? You're going to be a man or what you going to do? Yeah. Across his desk. He's like, what you going to do? I said, give me the papers. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, six foot ten and sitting across that desk, you know, he's gonna jump yeah. across. He's gonna make you make you do something for sure. But that attraction was. I, mean, I spoke to Bebe, you know, during a little bit as well during this process. I reached out to Patrick as well, and you know, he left that impression on everybody from day one. Even yeah. I mean, I still have it today as he walked in my parents' house and sit in my mom's chair. My mom said he's gonna break my break my yeah. chair. So <laughs> from somebody to play for him over the years, you know, how did that transition from Georgetown? to today because I mean I still remember it myself and every time I saw him at the Final Fours or Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. you would go pay your respects to Coach yes. Thompson. I mean right. everybody does. I mean, right, right. Know, and he would say, hey big fella, they don't you know, they don't they don't make centers don't be, become uh, coaches, me and Patrick. Right. You know, you said before you can't become a coach and you know he used the MF word quite frequently. All the time. As we know, right? <laughs> so how did it transition to the day? Because you said something about that earlier. And, and for me, it's still transitioning about the game of basketball and life and from Nike to the stuff he's done. It's, it's an amazing ride. But I know right. you still live by that passion today. Right. One of the quotes I remember, and it's, it's kind of always stood with me, one of the first times that I met him uh, sitting across his desk, he said, look, I don't have to like you. We don't have to get along. Um but we just have to respect one another. But one thing about respect, you got to earn my respect. Yeah. You know, you got to earn that respect. And uh, so that kind of always stayed with me throughout. And I kind of lived my life through, you know, whether it was business or, or friendships or relationships, you know, it's all about respecting one another and, and, and having them respect you, look at you in a light that they respect you. You know, and, and it has nothing to do with your athletic ability or anything like that. It's how you treat people, you know, your your character, your integrity, you know, kind of how 
you want to be viewed. Right. You know, and, you know, if you do the right things, you deal with people the right way, you, you try to be as honest as possible. You know, we all mess up. You know, I screwed up so many times and, you know, having him, you know, have my back or my dad or whoever, you know, you earn respect by when you fail, you know, you try to correct your mistakes. Right. You, try to, you know, if it's on the court, you know, you got some kind of flaw, you go to the gym, you work on it. Yeah, yeah. Coach Thompson ne never never asked how many points you score. He always asked how many turnovers you had. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know that routine with him. Like, how many turnovers you get today? Yeah. So. After a good game, man, you come in, you think feeling pretty good about yourself. He will humble you. He will humble quickly. You real quick. Yeah. Real quick. Uh, it's crazy. He's a good, amazing story with him. I, I, I've seen it. I didn't even play for him, but he asked me to, you know, the welcome. What are you doing good today? I mean, you know, just. Yeah. As you yeah. see him in and and the hall of the Hall of Fame and all the places you see him at. So anyway, amazing, amazing uh, story with him. But the last forever though. Last yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ralph sure. and I have been reflecting on the fact that he was an incredible coach. So many wins, so many records that he achieved at Georgetown. Obviously, uh, Sleepy, you were an incredible player, the most prolific scorer in Georgetown history, but the legacy that lasts forever is beyond basketball. It is exactly what you're talking about. What he teaches people like yourself and so many countless others, how to be right. better people and better men. Right. And right. and is, is there one lesson maybe uh, amongst them all or one moment uh, in the locker room or even post basketball that stands out for you? Um, the coach Thompson's mm -hmm. legacy lives on. Right. I always tell people when I, when I talk about coach Thompson, I like telling probably two stories and the one he did, you know, cause he was always challenging, challenging you mentally. And, and, and so he said, he told the team one time, he says, come down to my office at three o'clock on Friday. Everyone come to my office at three o'clock on Friday. So we all go down and he hands out some warm up pants and a pair of shoes. And that was all good. He called us up middle of the week, the following week, uh, Y'all come down to my office at three o'clock on Friday. We all go down. He gave us some socks and a T-shirt. You know. So the third week came in succession. And, and so we just showed up at three o'clock figuring, hey, this is a normal thing. We're going to come down every, <laughs> we'll Friday, get some more socks. every Friday at three o'clock right. and pick up something. So we all showed up, man. And, you know, Ralph is using the MF word. And, yeah, yeah. Get out of my office. You, you know. Don't ever expect, you no. Know, but his point was don't expect something, you know, just because someone does something for you one time, don't expect it all the time. And, and so that was that was a good, funny lesson that we all showed up and he kicked us out. <laughs> and one other story I like to tell when is the first practice, you, Ralph, you know, you had to run a mile you know, just to make sure you're in shape. And Growing up in Gastonia, there was a mountain called Crowder's Mountain that I used to run up once or twice, you know, doing my workout like it was nothing because I was back in shape in those days and training. So the mile, the guards had to run the mile in a certain amount of time. And so we all jump on the on the track and I almost lapped everybody and I finished. And he's sitting in his chair with a stopwatch. And I'm finished and everybody else is finishing. And he looked up, he said, everybody made it but sleepy. You got 30 <laughs> seconds. You got 30 seconds uh, 
and you have to run it in a shorter, you know, a shorter period of time. And I looked at him, I said, I don't need 30 seconds. I'm ready now. And, <laughs> and I jumped on there and I, I ran the mile. I made the time that he designated. And right after that, you had to go down off the hill to practice. And I ended up fainting when I got to the hill. <laughs> but the point was, I never understood that. But basically, by him doing that, he saw something in me that he could push me farther. Yeah. You know, he it just wasn't going to be the status quo, you know, you finish a drill or whatever. But he wanted you to go f- to push yourself to the next level. And that that was a lesson that was taught to me just from that initial making that time before the first practice of the season that he challenged me in that way. So, I, you know, I appreciate him for doing that, you know, and, and, and really just saying something in me somehow for whatever reason that he would push me and he and he did over over four year period he challenged me and and, and uh, made me the player that I, I eventually became well i mean from just listening to stories and talking to patrick you know and then the Kimbe a little bit he knew how to make it a team but also knew how to make it an individual and push each individual person right so the Kimbe tells the story that you know he was late for practical or late for a class or something Right. And Coach Thompson said, come see me. And he had an airplane ticket back home. And oh, it was wow. a real ticket, real ticket. He said, right. you locker room, your bags are packed. Go, go down and get your stuff and get out. Wow. And the Kimmy like, I, I ain't going nowhere. I mean, he just, he begged him to keep him there. Right. Can you right. imagine the Kimmy McTumbo Bam. not being to Georgetown? Wow. Right. But he missed one class or whatever. You know, you missed a class. The coach is going to get right. after you. got to run a little extra. Coach Thompson said, now, you know, you can't miss because if you do, you got to get out of here. That's the right. rules. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had a 97% graduation rate. Yeah, he did. I mean, you don't even – I mean, no, no yeah. coach has 97% graduation right. rate today right. or even back then, right? Mm-hmm. Right. No, he had a story as something from everybody. He had a focus, yes. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, it was about on the court and off the court. Now, he wanted you to be your best on the court, but he wanted you to be the best in the classroom. And, and nothing you did on campus that he didn't know about. If you tried to right. miss a class or whatever it was, you know, somehow he knew, you know, he had tentacles all over, you know, D.C. area. I mean, outside of that campus. I mean, we would go off and do stuff in the city and he would call us in the next day and say, hey, did you have fun at such and such a place? <laughs> hey, wow, man. How did he know that? You know? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, he, you know, his, his thing was in the classroom. You know, you had to, 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 you know, do your best there as well. And, and that's why he had a high graduation rate. Everyone knew it. The team knew it. And he did create a team uh, because there was one situation where we had a restaurant and, you know, how you leave a tip. And back then, we only got like $35. Yeah, they didn't get much. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so we could eat with $35. I'm budgeting my money. And when it came time to tip, I didn't tip correctly because I'm thinking about the next day. I got to make this money last. And the tip wasn't what it should have been. And Coach Thompson took out the whole team's per diem away. My whole team was so mad at me for a month. Because we got no per diem for a month. You know, we had to make sure we ate on campus and stuff like that just because I didn't tip correctly. And that was a lesson taught right there. So Big time. So many more of those. Wow. No, that's it's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, he he even confronted, you know, the, the, the 
like I say, he knew everybody in, in D.C. Everybody knew him. But their story that he confronted drug dealers yes. that were messing with his players. You know, yeah. you you mess with me, you mess with my players, you mess with me. Right. I mean, in D.C., you had to do that. I mean, but right. what right. Georgetown is. But, I mean, how do you – I mean, you got to respect that, right? I mean, right. I know you heard those stories as well. Right. And, and yeah, the stories about, you know, the, the drug guy in, in D.C., that's well documented. His yeah, history, yeah. I knew a lot about him. And, and uh, you know, he was a young guy, so he was he was the same age as a lot of the guys that were playing at Georgetown. He was a right. big Georgetown fan. He was coming over to Georgetown. And, you know, Georgetown wanted to protect his, you know, protect his kids. Like, you know, just like you're one of his uh some one of his sons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he did a lot of that. Um, and he had a lot of people in the city that, that, you know, he had in place to look out for his players. And like I said before, you know, by the time you got back to campus, you know, he already knew where you were. Mm-hmm. One time my high school girlfriend came up <clears throat> and she took a train from Gastonia to we couldn't afford to fly back. Right, right, right. Exactly, so exactly, exactly. Put on a train. Bus or train, yeah. <laughs> so she took a train up. She didn't get in until about one o'clock in the morning, you know, something like that, when those late train rides. And literally, she was in my place for about three hours. I get a call. It's 3.30 in the morning, somewhere like that. She said, can you be down in my office? It's like 3.30 a.m. So I go leave my place and go down to his office, and I walk in. He's like, how's everything going? I'm like, everything is fine. He said, anything you need to tell me? I'm like, no. He said, you sure? Nothing I need to know? I'm like, no. You know, I'm 18 years old. I'm, you know. And he said, well, you can go. As soon as I walked out of the door, I was like, sleepy, you idiot. <laughs> idiot. He already knew. So I went up. I put her on a train out at 7 a.m. that morning. She wasn't there for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You got to go. You got to go. You got to go. Oh, yeah. This man ain't joking. So yeah. uh, I assume yeah. it didn't work out with that girlfriend. That no, it didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man! Exactly. Wow. Exactly. He he was a, an amazing coach, but a, an amazing figure. Uh, I know in your life. Thank you for sharing some of those memories. Uh, he was he was larger than life, both literally and figuratively. He yes. was a towering presence. Uh, you know, on the basketball court, but away from the game too. What he stood for, uh, it, it will live on forever. Well, one of the most historic games that you got to play in uh, in college, unfortunately, didn't end exactly the way you wanted to. But I'm sure it's a, a game you talk about often, that you're asked about often, that you right. probably relive the 1982 NCAA championship game against North Carolina. Michael Jordan hits the buzzer beater uh, in that game that sort of is the first iconic Michael Jordan moment that most people right. think about. Um, that was one of the, the greatest college basketball games in memory. I mean, people always think back of that game. It was a battle, a one-point game, you and Patrick Ewing versus uh, Michael Jordan and James Worthy, a guy who you grew up with, who you right. defeated for the North Carolina State Basketball Championship in high school. Right. Can you just talk us through being a key player in a game of that magnitude what that was like going up against uh, a longtime childhood rival again right. mm. and also being there now as you look back on it right. and its place in basketball history. Right. That was a great time. And like you mentioned, James and I have been from 
the same hometown, growing up in the same church, living five minutes apart. Wow. Somehow we ended up playing at they put the the the, uh, the state the, the school line right between our homes, so we never went to the same school. Wow! Like we played against each other in, in junior high. You know, he played at the boys and girls club. I played at Irwin Center growing up. Obviously, he went to Ashbrook High, went to Hunter Huss High. So we always, you know, had a rivalry going on. And, yeah. and uh, we did defeat them for the state championship after they had beat us <laughs> a few times that year. And somehow we ended up in separate brackets uh, in the tournament and ended up playing for the state championship. And then that iconic game. And it was really, you know, Coach Thompson and Dean Smith were very, very mm -hmm. good friends. You know, I think Coach Thompson got a lot of his uh, philosophies and through his relationship with Dean Smith, uh, I think really, uh, I mean, he loved Dean Smith like no other. And Dean Smith loved him. So you had that component as an aspect of the game. And and, uh, and then two iconic teams and, and programs. And uh, uh, there was a lot going into that game. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, you know, they talk about Michael hitting that last second shot and that kind of made him MGA at that point. But Ralph, you know, we were defending and I told Michael, I'm like, James Worthy was our number one person we had to, you know, try to stop. Mm -hmm. Sam yeah, yeah. was the second one we had to stop. Matt Doherty was Doherty. the player, you know. Michael, you know, so I, I told Michael, I said, man, we left you open on purpose. He just happened to hit a shot. He, he was wide open in the corner, but yeah. I mean, right. You know, right. I mean, but, you know, coming from North Carolina, you guys have bragging rights, high school-wise, but Michael, Michael got cut from his, you know, freshman varsity oh, yeah, team, right. you know. <laughs> so you were worthy, like, okay, great. Well, you know, who was Michael Jordan at that point in time? So right, I guess he, right. he showed yeah, up right. there, but he got he got wide open and left in the corner, but yeah, I'm sure was, you get that all the time with him. Great game, you know. A lot of times, you know, I played 13 years in the NBA. I get stopped more about that game and playing mm -hmm. at Georgetown and and – and at that time, <clears throat> you know, Coach Thompson was the first African-American coach. To win a championship. Really coach, yep. win a championship. But, I, you know, before he even won a championship, to reach that level, right. to really coach, you know, a D1 uh, collegiate basketball team at that level. So we had a lot of supporters, a lot of people following us. You know, i never forget one of my first games in the NBA Jamal Wilkes, Wilkes came up to me, and these are guys I watched playing and oh, yeah. you know, kind of idolized, and he pulled me to the side. He said, man, uh, you're one of my favorite players in college, and we were really pulling for you guys. So that was the kind of impact that at that time, uh, being a pretty much all-black team, mm -hmm. uh, playing with, you know, 6'10 black coach, African-American <laughs> coach, you know, that had never been seen before mm -hmm. uh, on that national level, and, and, and to be a part of that, um, obviously, Coach Thompson had a bigger, bigger vision than we even realized of how he was going to impact the community and impact young men. I think his relationship with Bill Russell was mm -hmm. special. That relationship that he had uh, during his time with the Celtics, I think, probably shaped or helped help him shape some of his views about inequality, you know, and the stuff he dealt with when he was with the Boston Celtics, yep. you know, living in Boston, how, how um, you know, racial it, it was mm -hmm. during that time. So, 
you know, he was an amazing man. I mean, I could go on and on and, and uh, you know, he talked about Bill Russell a lot. Yep. You know, he referenced him a lot, uh, you know, when he was doing a lot of teaching. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I got traded. We'll talk about that in a minute from the Warriors to Sacramento. And Bill Russell was the GM. And so I had played some tricks on Bill Russell while I was with Houston, and he called me light on my feet. I sent him a pair of shoes with some tassels and bells on it. So we had a good <laughs> I interviewed him in, in college as well. And when I went to Sacramento, he picked me up in the airport in a, in a you know, like a Jaguar. Like you know, we both six nine, seven foot four, <laughs> right. like a freaking Jaguar. But he always referenced John Thompson. Right. You know, he said, Well, that guy could be six ten. I just used him as practice player. He couldn't right. play. But he would sit down and educate you on Boston and, uh, you know, the racism in Boston. I think, Bill, how do you do that? How did you go around and play at the level you did and, and, right. and have to go to separate restaurants or bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera, That's in that incredible. era? Nobody yes. even referenced that today. I mean, those guys were pioneers, you know, in the NBA that set the tone. How do you look back now at, you know, Georgetown, Washington, D.C., right? Yeah. <laughs> the mecca of, you know. Mm -hmm. the, the world basically and historical African-American there and, and have an all black team and, and a black coach at that level. Mm -hmm. Now you look 25, 40 years later and you see the impact that that had then and today's right. world. Right. Like, of course, Thompson would say today, like we still battling for what we need to do. And yeah. how do you look back at that? How do you think about that today? Well, I just think, you know, <clears throat> where we were then and where we are now is, is very interesting. You know, the fact that we've come so far, but we still have so much farther to go, and says a lot about, you know, the, 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 the community, where we are as a society, you know, I think having compassion for other people, having empathy for other people that, that's not in your position, you know, being able to walk in someone else's shoes when it doesn't directly impact you. I think that's the kind of legacy and the men like Bill Russell and John Thompson, you know, those are the kind of people that they are. Because you don't sacrifice as much as they, they have sacrificed right. if you don't have that pure empathy and, and really caring about someone else other than yourself. Because if you did, you wouldn't you wouldn't put you yourself wouldn't out there. You, you wouldn't, wouldn't put yourself it. out there like that. So I think the lessons that he's taught and that generation taught so many is why are you seeing so many other NBA NBA players doing an awesome job on uh, bringing awareness and using their platform like the men did when Coach Thompson and Bill Russell was playing. That, as you said you know, kind of set the stage for all of us coming through, um, using them as a, as a as a springboard to what LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony and all these amazing players, current and former players. But the, I want to commend the current players for sacrificing their time and really taking this upon their shoulders to make sure it stays at the forefront of our society as much as they can. Absolutely. So, you know, looking back at that Georgetown and Coach Thompson and what he stood for and some of the things he did while we were there, uh, you know, they were calling us thugs. And, <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. 
all kind of stuff. And we walked off television shows. Yes. And, you know, he would pull us off the court if we didn't get the respect that he thought we deserved, you know. Yeah. Um, I've seen him curse other coaches out. I've seen him, oh, my goodness, do so many things. And when he thought that we were wrong in any kind of way, verbally, physically, or, you know, mentally, or what, however, he could look at us and say, okay, I need to protect this, these, these guys. Or he can look in this community and say, I need to help this section of the community. And that's just the kind of person he was. And I think that's the impact to answer your question directly uh, that they have made into our current you know, to today. To Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, amazing how he's, you know, just impactful then and still today. So, right. you know, and through you guys and everybody that knows him in person, we'll have to keep that legacy going for sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The things that Bill Russell was fighting for and speaking up against 60 years ago are still some mm-hmm. of the same things that the current players mm-hmm. today and society as a whole is still fighting for today. But right. hopefully we continue to make progress. And, and something about this year, 2020, just feels different than it has yeah, in the past. You it know? really does. And, you know, with social media now and, and you know, having that at the hands of a lot of our activists that's in the NBA, NFL, MLB, that they're using their platform form through social media to reach so many more people than, you know, we came up, there was no social media. No, yeah. um, there was more of a penalty for speaking out mm-hmm. when we were coming through and that's no excuse not to, but that's just the way it was. You know, it was more of a, you know, society is more accepting of athletes taking a role politically, political views, uh, making a stand, whether it's, you know, cool or not, um, they're making a stand about what they believe, no matter what side they're on, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, uh, but just making a statement for right and wrong, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what I admire about, you know, the current players and a lot of our uh, retired players as well. But, you know, they have the media at their hands and they're definitely utilizing it. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, Sleepy, you're someone who had a, an incredible NBA career, 13 seasons with four different teams. Um, you were an NBA all-star. You get drafted right after that iconic game in college we talked about uh, mm-hmm. in the 82 draft by the New Jersey Nets. And then you're actually traded during your rookie season. And uh, what was that experience like for you? I mean, as as a big sports fan, I, I follow <laughs> trades and transactions, but I don't know what it's like for, for both of you guys to, to be traded. And especially just getting your start in the NBA right. getting acclimated to a new city, a new environment, and then to be traded that rookie season. That's a that's a rare thing. What what was that like for for you? Well that was that was a learning experience. I yeah. you know coach Larry Brown was my coach with the Nets at the time. Mm. And we were in Atlanta and I think it was 1.30 in the morning or something like that. I get a knock at my door. Uh you've been traded and the name of the team, and you got 48 hours to be there. I think we have. Right, Right. yeah, 48 hours to be there. And, you know, basically they made the reservation. So I flew from Atlanta. Uh, Golden State was playing the Kansas City, uh, what was the name of the team before they, the Kings. Kansas City Kings, right. Uh, When they had Reggie Theus and all those guys. Right. Phil Ford. Phil Ford, yeah, Phil was there. Otisburg, Song, and their crew. 
And um, so I get traded, traded to Golden State. I make it right before the game. I ended up starting. I didn't want to play. You got to play. Yeah. <laughs> you got to play. No, no the offense. No, no the defense. No, no, go play. No, no, right. right. Sometimes that, that was pretty good because I could yep. just play without even thinking uh-huh. and uh, end up having a good game. And and uh, actually, Golden State was trying to move up in the draft uh, to select me anyway. So they, they had their eyes out to try to get me eventually anyway. Um, so it just worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being traded out to San Francisco, I think, really helped me mature. Getting away from the East Coast and really getting out West by myself, where I could just really focus on my game. And Coach Adels, pretty yeah. much, you know how the NBA is, Ralph. You know, yeah. every player, all you need is an opportunity. Yeah. Right? So much talent out there. And, and, and you got the opportunity to play without looking over your shoulder or if you made a mistake, getting taken out of the game, um, then you can really flourish. And and they gave Golden State and Al Adams gave me an opportunity to do that uh, and help me develop into a confident player and the style of play that they they played was an up and down style, kind of like we did at Georgetown. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So it was an easy transition. And, you know, at the time, you know, I was playing two guard and, and there was a major shift going on in the NBA where all yeah. the small fours were becoming two guards, Jock the J right, and right. Iceman and, you know, all these guys, you know, were playing two guards all of a sudden, um, shooting guard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was fortunate enough that I was always a good ball handler, so I was able to make that conversion from, from shooting guard to point, to point. Guard, mm-hmm. you know, relatively easy um, because I could handle the ball and, and, and just the way I played. So... Um, it was a blessing that I got traded. I don't think I would have had, if I would have stayed with the Nets, I don't think I would have had been in the league as long as I was able to stay in the league. Absolutely. I don't know if I would have got that opportunity to really develop, you know, my game uh, yeah. on the court via making mistakes and, and all that. So they gave me that opportunity to really become a good player. So so I'm curious because obviously we, we crossed our paths, but John Thompson to Al Adels. Right. I mean, not too many people understand that, right? right. I understand it because right. I was there when I was there, obviously. But from one great person to another. That was amazing. I mean, talk about Al. I was, I mean, not too many people know or understand Al Adels because he, right. he's a dynamic one. He won a championship with the Golden yep. State Warriors. He yep. played in the league. So he was a player mm-hmm. coach. What was right. that like? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, he was awesome, man. He was the – Al was the uh, coach – at the time, he wasn't playing at the time. Right. But um, uh, he was the coach. And, you know, he had that deep voice. Deep voice. kind of like Coach Thompson. They were yep. so similar um, in, in their style, their approach. You know, they challenged you. And, yep. you know, he was like, sleep base. <laughs> Don't pass the ball. You know, right. once you can hear him. Deep voice. And, and uh, so I was used to playing for someone like that. Yelling at me really didn't bother me. So, um, uh, no doubt that was, I've been so blessed in my career where I played for, for two iconic coaches, yeah. African-American coaches in Al Adels and, and Coach Thompson. I've always played in major cities, whether mm-hmm. it was New York, San Francisco, playing in Houston. Uh, you know, I didn't have to go play in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
or right. San Diego somewhere, right. you know, <laughs> right. Utah, so, Utah, you know. Right. So I was very fortunate uh, to play in some really cool cities, and, and, and that helped me mature, gave me a lot of education, and and, um, uh, and I took advantage of it. You know, a lot of times and being in those cities, there was so much, so many ways for you to grow and learn and, yep. uh, you know, incorporate yourself in different communities, not just the NBA community, but the business community or the art community or, mm -hmm. you know, so many different ways you could go. Well, especially at that young age, I mean, being out in San Francisco, uh, going up to Napa Valley, yeah, yeah. going up, you know, down to Carmel and Monterey, you know, areas I coming from Gastonia, you couldn't even never dream see. about. Yeah, never right. think about. Yeah, never right. see. So I was very blessed in my career and, and uh, you know, played for some iconic coaches and, and uh, you know, it was a blessing to hold whole experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, your career really did blossom in Golden State. As you mentioned, you averaged 19 and a half points per game in 84. You made the All-Star team in 87, averaging a double-double. And you had one of the most <laughs> prolific, uh, uh, incredible playoff games in NBA history. Uh, game four of the 1987 Western Conference semifinals, taking on the mighty Los Angeles Lakers. Your buddy James Worthy again. Well, again. Right? <laughs> get, all these big games. There's big game James against you. Yes. And, I mean, this was a juggernaut of a Lakers squad that you were going up against. You were down 3-0. I, I know you just you didn't want to be swept, and you took that game over. You still hold the record for most points scored in a quarter. You scored 29 points in the fourth quarter. You had 39 points in the second half. At one point, you made 15 shots in a row. What is it like to be <laughs> in, in the zone? zone like <laughs> that? What is it like to be in the zone? Yeah, yeah you have to – the Lakers were, I mean, they were, they were a well-oiled machine with Magic and Kareem and um, James Worthy and Michael Cooper. Mm -hmm. And and they would let you know, they talk a lot of trash. A lot. Know, and, and, <laughs> and we were down at that time and, you know, they were up 14 and they were just clowning us, half five and laughing. And I'm like, even the guys on the bench was talking trash. You know, that's how good. I mean, yeah. the guys at the end of the bench was talking trash. And I'm just looking at that. And then, you know, as a point guard, you know, our initial role is to run the offense. At that time, you know, the style that they played now, we didn't play back then. You, know, no, you got to no. get it inside to the big man. They fed it back out, as Ralph knows. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was our style of play. So a guard really taking it upon himself to – to um you know offensively you're really breaking protocol you know and basically i just got so fed up with them clowning us yeah. i'm gonna show those guys if i want to i could these are things that i could do you know and, and mm -hmm. michael cooper talked a lot of trash you know and uh so i just went at him pretty much and, and you know, but just everything was instinctive at that time. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know what the play call was, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but they just kept, you know, giving me the ball, telling me to take it. And Ralph, you know, if JB passing you the ball, you're doing something. Hey, baby, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're doing something good. Get him out the way for sure. Right. right. So, no, but it was an amazing, uh, looking back on it, it was an amazing feat um, to beat the Lakers. I don't think they lost with one or two games throughout that entire playoff mm -hmm. uh, run that year. Um, so, yeah, it is something that 
as I'm older now, people ask me about it. It was pretty cool looking back on it. No, oh, absolutely. Have a game like that mm-hmm. to score that way against a team that's so iconic. If it would have happened against any other team, it would be as yes. I guess impressive. But mm-hmm. the fact that it came against the Lakers and then all the Hall of Famers that they had on the team, and again have an opportunity to go up against a, my, you know, James <laughs> always yeah. beat them is nice. So. <laughs> And we always played them well. I mean, they played the style that we played. We had Chris Mullen on that team. Yep. Um, Joe Care, Purvis Short, who a lot of people don't remember. I mean, you're talking about a shooter. Shooter, yeah. He's one of the best shooters to ever come through the NBA that's not really talked about. Um, so, and Mr. Mean, Larry Larry Smith, yep. rebounding. So, we had a lot of talent on that team. And, and, uh, Jerome. and for us to make it to the second round of the playoffs was a big feat for Golden State at that time because we weren't yep. very good. I mean, we got on a really nice run. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of talented players, but nowhere near the level of, you know, of the Lakers at that point. Sure. And um, so, um, I think for Bay Area fans, um, they remember that because that was one of the stepping stones to, I think, the Golden State uh, organization. You know, yeah. rising to the level they are now. Yeah, it, it helped out for sure. I mean, even I mean, think about that though. I mean, the way you play in that game to the way they play today That's with the guards, yes. give you the ball and get out the way, right? Right. I mean, yeah. you, I mean, you know, shoot, you, do you imagine how much money you would make today and, and how oh, your game would be today? Right. You can shoot a three over half court. Right. <laughs> Come on. I know because you know we would only shoot threes if we were behind. Right. The last the, the, the quarter was running down, uh-huh. you know, but you never would on a fast break run no. to the three. And I was considered a good three point shooter, mm-hmm. but it wasn't incorporated into our offense the way it is today. And and uh, and the way some of those guys are shooting today, it's a compliment to them that Ralph could shoot threes because he had range. You mm-hmm. know, if Ralph played in this era, I mean, that's the way they play now. You know, yeah, inside man. out, being able to stretch the floor. So Ralph was really ahead of head of head of the game, head of you know, head of time. I mean, yeah, but they willing to shoot it. I mean, yeah, they willing that. to shoot it. You got to get seven really, foot. You got to get in that basket, Bill Fish. Like, get your tail in that basket. You can't shoot a three. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> right. Not possible. Give it to the guard. Don't dribble Give it, it to the guard. Don't dribble to the guard. Run the lane. You know, Dang. run the UCLA fast break. You know, John Wooden <laughs> yeah, style. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ralph would be worth four hundred million right now. Oh my uh, God, we yeah. we'd be you know in another world right now to make it. <laughs> yes. <greatest, really. laughs> do you guys ever think about that? I mean, you were you were we all, all do. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I was at you know Evolution of Time, so I came in. You know, Jane Worthy was the year before me, and then I came afterwards. So I was probably the I was the first probably million dollar player. And Julius and all the guys, Moses, like. You know, they would be jealous, like, you know, you're making more money we make. I'm like, right. so it's, it had devolved from, you know, back when those guys played, they was making right. some money and we making some money. But the magnitude today is just ludicrous. It's just yeah. it's stupid. It's but, I mean, you yeah. get $150 million and, you know, it's wow. just. It, it that's just one game. of your contracts. That's No, that's no, yeah, that's, that's I mean, our you know, yeah, contract is in one of those guys' whole year. I right. mean, you know, we were going way too soon. Way too soon, baby. <laughs> well, we can go back. I think we can go back and play them. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you still got that jumper. I mean, you guys paved the way for, for these players today. And and I'm sure, do do players ever come up to you, current players now, Ralph and, and Sleepy, and, and thank you for for the, the groundwork that you laid? Oh, man, they always do. Chris yeah. Paul and all those guys, they know their history. They always come back. They make mm-hmm. you feel they come up to you. They say, "I respect you. You're one of my favorite players." And 
Oh, you get that all the time. So yeah, a great. lot of these guys grew up watching the game, and, and, uh, and they can recognize they know a good player. And uh, so they're they're very good about yeah. that. Yeah, they are. Sure the, the ones that study the yeah, the ones that study the game understand it. Mm-hmm. But you got some young guys today, whatever that I mean, really really young. They don't understand the game, and right. then they get on hard knocks, and they might be a good offensive player. They don't want to play defense. Mm-hmm. And so they start studying the game a little bit more to become students of the game. Then they start to respect it more. Right. Yeah. Usually, someone will be out the league, you know, tomorrow right. if they don't right. do that because right. they, they just don't understand it. So, and the league understands that too. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Ralph too, like our American players, there were so many uh, Europeans in our game now who have, yep. who have all around games like you did when you came up. Uh, they better learn how to shoot. They better learn how to dribble. They better learn how to, you know, to pass, do all those things, or, um, you know, they're not going to be around long. No, no. They are the specialists, you know, say someone like Dennis Rodman that mm-hmm. only rebounds or, you know, certain players that only do one thing. You have to be able to, you know, be a Ralph Simpson, you know, take, you know, emulate his game if you want to, you know, have a long career in this day and age in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I mean, especially with the foreign players coming in. I mean, we, you know, we had very few. Right. I mean, you know, if right, I mean, very few. Yeah, yeah. Sabrina's Marcellonis and mm-hmm. you know Petrovic or whatever, but um, one or two in the league totally. Now you got one on every team, typically. Every team. At least two or three. Yeah. You know, yeah. taking up people's spots. So they, but they gotten better over the years. But right. and they can shoot. The diversity in the league has changed. You know, from when we it played. Has changed. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, you guys, your your paths have crossed many times over your basketball journeys, including in 1987 when you were traded for each other. Uh, mm-hmm. Ralph, who started his career with Houston, ended up going to Golden State, and and Sleepy, you ended up in Houston. Um, what was that like? I mean, Ralph, for you, uh, because you were an iconic member of the Houston Rockets, what was it like when you found out that you were going to Golden State, as, as Sleepy said, a, a place that didn't quite have the, the same basketball reputation at that point? And, and Sleepy, for you, what was it like? Because you were just starting to build something. You're coming off that mm-hmm. game we just talked about in Golden mm-hmm. State, and now here you go going to Houston. And again, it's the business side of basketball. I'm just you want to know what it was like for both of you when you got that news and then that transition. Well, I mean, for me, the satisfaction was that, you know, I was in a trade with Ralph Simpson. Mm-hmm. That made it a lot better because you're like, wow, man, because people don't realize, you know, Ralph Simpson was, you know, transcendent. And so for me to get traded at that time, like you said, I had started to build something. I was pretty much solidified as the best player on the Golden State Warrior team. Um, uh, to be traded, you know, and that trade w- with Ralph Simpson made a lot better for me going to Houston. Just for personally, you know, like, okay, mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing. I didn't get traded for, you know, someone I never heard of, you know, <laughs> right. or, or, or not a top little, you know, first class player. So mm-hmm. for me personally and mentally, it meant a lot to me to be in that trade with someone like Ralph. And, you know, then I had to go up there and play with, with Mr. Akeem Olajuwon. Yeah, so I had to pass the ball a little bit. Yeah. I had to adjust my game again, Ralph. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> get a ball in the left post. He wanted it every time he got it. He never threw That's it out. That's right. <laughs> never threw it out. You can pass me the ball. Keep it plain and simple. 
No, he ain't got it. And then he would speak in a foreign language that, like, I don't understand past the ball. So he like, totally <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. I, I, you know, I, I think about it sometimes, and I've heard stories which from Rodney McCray and all the guys I know. You know, when you got, and I'll get into our trade, but for you two and Joe Barry Carroll was for, for the trade, mm-hmm. and Akeem and Joe Barry Carroll got two centers. So, yeah. I, you know, Akeem Olajuwon that loves sports, and then Joe Barry Carroll educated. You know, yeah, that had to be really funny on, on the bus and let them understand right. whatever. Then actually, I think Joe Brady ended up getting traded or moved on to maybe Atlanta or somewhere else like that. So I think about it all the time. But I got, you know, we had played Chicago. Now, we have to go back. We were always missing a guard. You know, we had some some Lewis Lloyd, Mitchell Wiggins, John Lucas. We had some guards that didn't do some of the great things, uh, you know, personally in the league. So we started the point forward thing with Ryder McCray and Robert Reed. And we were looking for a guard. We 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 knew we needed a guard. Uh, we had we brought in Dirk Minifield uh, one year, and then he didn't last but a year. And then we had you know gone to the championship and and, and all that kind of stuff. And we next year Dirk turned the ball over against Seattle, and then we lose the game and they they beat us. So we need a guard. So Norm Nixon was on our list radar, and Sleepy was on our radar, right? Mm-hmm. So we brought Norm down. And they didn't sign it for some reason. I don't know why. But we needed a guard. And here for now, I'm on the plane. We play in Chicago. We got beat by Chicago. We on the plane back to Houston. I'm walking through the airport. Bill Fish walks beside me and say, uh, they, I think they just traded you. I'm like, what the, you know what? You, you think, you don't know you the coach. <laughs> now, I understand. Sleepy knows that. We only had 20 people in, on staff anyway, coaches, players in the front office. So you, the coach, you don't know that. So I'm walking through the airport, coming home to a pregnant wife with my first child. Wow. Do any day. Wow. And at least you allude to, you got 48 hours to get from Houston to Golden State. Yeah. I took three days. I had to get them straight. Don Nelson was the, the general manager, the coach, the general manager. He called me like, you know, you got to trade it. You got to get here. I said, I can't. I mean, I got, you know, I got to solidify things at home. So I did that. And then the first game was against the Lakers. <laughs> and so I walk in and, and Sleepy had a different feeling than I had. I walk in, I get traded. I got to go to, you know, Alameda, stay in a hotel that's there on the corner. Only place to eat, only by the airport, yeah. go to the arena. I walk into the arena and Chris Washburn was being taken out due to some other issues he had personally, right? right? So he, he he was gone. Two weeks later, Chris Mullen was taken out for some personal issues. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't die, I didn't go to, you know, <laughs> to, to, a, to a bad place. But, um, you know, it's a learning lesson, but, you know, getting traded and, and, you know, no one likes to get traded. Um, it just, uh, it's just not, not, not a good thing to get traded, you know, in a way, and then you go into another city that has some history, but we lose to Al Adams was the one that made me understand the trade and the history and what was about to happen because we had Don Nelson as not only the general manager and the owner, mm-hmm. and then we had George Carl as a coach, mm-hmm. and then Don Nelson became the coach. So you understand George gets he yeah. on George Carl. So you understand what I'm saying? It was a freaking nightmare oh. that uh, we transitioned there. But anyway, that's my side of the trade. And then Houston takes it and, and, and goes on. But we needed a point guard. We had Sleepy on our team with a point guard. 
Oh man, we we yeah. I mean, me, Sleepy Akeem, Robert Reed, uh, Robert Craig, we'd have been we'd have won a whole lot of championships. Right, man, yeah. man. Here you are, yeah. Ralph. You just wanted a point guard so badly. I want. I needed Good a news, point guard. Got a point guard, but bad news. <laughs> yeah, you're out. Yeah, I was out. I was out. Oh man. Wow. Yeah. So that's wow. my side of, but it was uh, you know, and we we we, we talk about it sometimes, but the trick to see what happened in Houston, what happened with us in Golden State. And then we got a little bit better, you know, with, with um, you know, Mitch Richmond and Tim Hardaway. We got to, you know, run TMC to, to crew. And then, you know, mm-hmm. and we're getting traded again to Sacramento. And that's where I hooked up with Bill Russell. So, mm-hmm. you know, your career is what it is. You do what you got to do when you go and that's do right. And you got to make it happen. That's right. Yeah. Well, Sleepy, you you had, a, a, you know, a great career, five and a half seasons in Houston. You guys, uh, you know, you played well. And then you ended up going to San Antonio uh, for uh, – one year before Houston wins their yeah. back-to-back titles, too. It's right. all, you, you never yeah. know how things are going to you know, work yeah. out. Maybe I was holding them back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. You were, you were a great player, and I, I've got fond memories of, of you and your, your Houston Rockets days. I, I remember it well. Um, one, one last thing. We've touched on so many things, and, and we could talk to you forever. I mean, this has been really great. But one thing that uh, – uh, we always want to touch on with all of our guests is give you an opportunity to pay homage to someone who meant a lot to you in your life or your career uh, that you want to pay your respects for, kind of say thanks to. It might be someone we know or someone we've never heard of. Who, who uh, Eric Sleepy Floyd, do you want to pay homage to? Well, you know, the obvious, you know, my parents, Coach Thompson, you know, some of the leaders in my community that took me under their wing growing up. But really playing homage to the game of basketball. It's given us so many opportunities, all the players, Ralph and myself, and, you know, it's taken us all over the world. It's it's given us exposure to so many things, educationally, financially, socially, um, on so many levels. Uh, The game of basketball teaches you – Focus, uh, repetition, and, yeah. and uh, how to deal with failure. How you know? How do you have a bad game the night before and come back and play a good game the following, the following game? Mm-hmm. You know, being able to compartment. Car- I can't even talk. Compartmentalize. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And uh, being able to, to to do that and and say you, know, you got your family life at home. All right, maybe a death in the family, whatever it is, you still have to be able to put that over here and mm-hmm. focus on the game because you're going to be judged. Right. How you play. You know, in the media, by your coaching staff, only on your game. They don't care what's going on in your life here no. or, you know, what could be going on, you know, on your day to day life. So playing homage to, to the, uh, the game of basketball that, that I was so blessed to play on so many levels, high school, college, gave me an opportunity to meet Coach Thompson, gave me an opportunity to get an education at Georgetown, opportunity to have lifelong friends like Patrick Ewan and, and so many guys, have an opportunity to meet someone like Ralph. You know, he, you know, we, we don't see each other a lot, but we, when we finally see one another, whether it's Zoom or someone, it's all about respect. And yep. we've all been through the same things. And, and so my, I pay homage to the game of basketball and been 
been blessed to to uh, have played it. Just real quick at, at homage in basketball, because I feel the same way. Basketball has enabled me to do a lot of things, you know. What, but what did you do today? I know you, mm -hmm. you know, from Georgetown education to Coach Thompson, all experiences, well-rounded. What are some of the things you focused in on today? Uh, well, living in Charlotte, um, obviously I do a lot of charity stuff here in Charlotte and in some other cities. I do a lot with St. Jude's, who, which is an amazing, an amazing uh, charity yeah, organization, organization yes. that, that helps so many kids. So that's one of my focus points. I work here at uh, Pappas Properties. We're a developer. Uh, we do commercial, we do medical, we do multi-use uh, uh, communities, uh, affordable housing um, all throughout the Southeast, uh, you know, Raleigh, right. Atlanta, and really all over. So that's my focus here now. All right. My kids, are, like, I got one kid in San Francisco. My daughter's in New York. And uh, so life is pretty good right now. I'm just playing a lot of golf. I'm, <laughs> good I'm not, I, I'll, I'll come play with you, but I, I can't hit the ball. You know, we hey. drive the cart and hang out and have fun. There you go. There you go. I well, appreciate it, man. Nice. Definitely for sure. Good having you and uh, stay safe down there. But uh, we have to do this again. We'll get, we'll get uh, Patrick and the boys. We'll, we'll get somebody together. We'll do this again and have some fun. Let's do it. I appreciate right. you reaching out. Thank you very no, much. No, thanks so much. I'll, I'll, I'll touch base. Floor. Nice talking with you guys. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks, man. Ralph, that was great chatting with Eric Sleepy Floyd. I mean, you guys have crossed paths many times in your career, going against each other, but then obviously being traded for one another. And uh, that was unique hearing each of your perspectives on that trade as well. He, he was honored just to be traded for you. It was sort of, he was like, okay, this is legit now. Well, I mean, he was honored. I was, you know, when you get traded, I'm, come, I'm coming from a, you know, a championship team to a team yeah. that's, you know, trying to rebuild. And I, and I guess, the, you know, I've thought about it a little bit getting traded for two players instead of one. Mm -hmm. I guess that's creates some value. But going to a team, you know, that is still just teetering. And there's a couple of plays that you didn't want to get traded to in the NBA. One was San Diego or the Clippers. Right. Uh, Cleveland was one. Sorry, sorry about that, Jason. Yeah. Cleveland uh, fan. Cleveland's really taking a lot of shots in this episode, right? And, <laughs> and, and Golden State, which was an area where, uh, as a player in the NBA, would say, when you go to Oakland, don't go out. Mm. It's drug infested. It's some things there that you don't want to do. So go play and get out. And I had lost um, my, my point guard there. Do the drugs uh, mm. on our team once. I was young coming in, and I was a mentor for the older guys. Mm -hmm. You know, and I alluded to in the interview that three guys there that were on our team that were point guards went down with drugs, and I'm coming out of Golden State, and boom, they get hit with drugs at that point in time. So it's, it's things you heard, things the league told you yeah. to do and not do, but then you get traded to a organization in that city and it's like oh crazy and i mentioned al adels he took me set me aside took me to line and said here's what you do here here are the things you do here are the things you don't do mm -hmm. so great mentor for me i still you know speak to him every now and then now he's a lot older mm -hmm. but uh getting traded for sleepy understanding who he is we had it's crazy we had had him on a list of point guards to go get yeah. the houston rockets to trade for 
but I get traded for it. So right. it is what it is. Oh, man, man. Well, he's he's a great guy. He had a, a great career, long NBA career. Uh, so many highlights we got to touch on, and it was really nice hearing him reflect on uh, the late John Thompson because absolutely Sleepy Floyd was really his first big recruit, his first big star that played there. You know, and well, it's right there. His first, you know, I mean, I, I mean, the story of how he even found Sleepy. You know, he yeah. didn't recruit him, but somebody told him about him. And he becomes, you know, a, a a great player on his team, making shots. He gets, you know, to the NBA. He graduates, and I mean, he he'll help keep John Thompson's legacy alive forever. So, I mean, that I didn't know all those details until today. So it's great to hear that. It was great to hear that. Well, thank you all for listening to another episode of Center Court for Ralph and I. We really appreciate it. We'd also appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us a review or just tap that five stars on iTunes, Spotify, <laughs> yes. wherever you get the podcast. It helps us be you know, more accessible and more easily found for everyone who's looking for a new great podcast. Word of mouth helps and, of course, social media. So be sure to follow us at uh, Center Court 50 on Instagram, uh, Ralph Sampson 50, J. Fish. We'll let you know about upcoming episodes, guests, all the latest things that are happening because we got some good ones lined up coming up soon. All right. Well, that's another episode of Center Court. Thanks for tuning in. On behalf of Ralph Sampson, I'm Jason Zone Fisher and the rest of our team here, KTLA, Pam, Kathy, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week on Center Court. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.